0: W-H-I-V-L-P, New Orleans Community Radio, dedicated to human rights and social justice. End all wars. Ryan, what's happening? Y'all, this is your boy, Big Sam from Big Sam's Funker Nation, straight out of New Orleans, Louisiana. And you're listening to 102.3 W-H-I-V-L-P, New Orleans, baby. Community Radio, dedicated to human rights and social justice. Yeah, you're right, baby. Come and get it. Good afternoon. This is Jamie Bernstein from the Offer Radio Hour. I want to remind you to support WHIV LP New Orleans because it is New Orleans' only radio station dedicated to human rights and social justice. And by the way, I am not just a host of a radio show here. I am also a member. You, too, can become a member by going to our website, whivfm.org, and clicking Donate. Hi, this is Sam Price. I host Soul Shine Radio every Tuesday night from 10 to 12. I believe in WHIV's mission of radio programming dedicated to human rights and social justice, which is why I'm not just a DJ here at the station. I'm a member, too. Join me. Become a member today by visiting WHIVFM.org and click Donate. Thanks. Peace. I love-
1: WHIV. We are community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice, WHIVFM.org. We honor independent voices. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with a radio station. End all wars. WHIV proudly presents FNO, also known as Film New Orleans. We are now accepting submissions for the Health and Justice Film Festival, which will occur May 29th through May 31st at the Broad Theater. We aim to generate discussions and mobilize audiences around health and justice through impactful films and moderated panels. Do you have a film to submit? Would you like to be involved? We are looking for sponsors and partners and volunteers. Submission and event information is available on our website at f-no.org. That's f-no.org. Also, WHIV has been broadcasting for five years. That's amazing, and we are able to honor independent community voices with your support. Right now, WHIV merchandise is 25% off. T-shirts, hoodies, fanny packs, and more. They make for great gifts, or just treat yourself. So simply go to whivfm.org and click store. That's whivfm.org. Thanks, y'all. Again. We are not a radio station with a mission. We are a mission with the radio station. End all wars. My name is Mark Allendary, and right now we're waiting for Doc Griggs. Uh, this is the Get Check, If It Get Moving show. He has confirmed that he'll be coming in today. So while uh, we're waiting for uh, Eric to uh, come in, we'll just uh, go over a couple stories uh, that I thought were uh, interesting. And hopefully we'll get Eric to to come in here and start our show. Uh, here was a story that I thought was really quite fascinating, something that we've known for a long time, I think, as an infectious disease doctor. I think most infectious disease doctors will recognize this. Um, but that infections account for 13% of all cancer cases. That's right. Uh, uh, cancer, uh, at least in this study, was uh, diagnosed uh, in... Um, uh, that had a, a common source of an infection of one sort or another. That's 13%. So infections do cause cancer, and we do have vaccines that prevent that. But the story goes an estimated 13% of all cancer cases in 2018 may have been attributable to infections, uh, concludes a new global survey. Uh, this extrapolates to about 2.2 2 million cancer cases that were diagnosed worldwide, corresponding to an age-standardized incidence rates of 25 cases per 100,000. The primary causes were helicopactor, uh, that's uh, otherwise known, uh, helicopactor pylori or H. pylori, human papilloma, human papilloma, boy, this is really early in the morning for me, human papilloma, pa, <laughs> the human papillomavirus, virus, HPV, uh, hepatitis B virus, HBV and hepatitis C. Let me just take a moment just to say that we can cure H. pylori, but we need to diagnose it. We have a vaccine against HPV as well as HBV, and we have a cure for hepatitis C. So it's really quite a shame to consider that there have been uh, these uh, cases of cancer that have occurred uh, in the setting of um Uh, uh, In the setting of these infectious diseases that either can be prevented via vaccines or can be prevented uh, uh, or can be cured or treated. So the present work estimates for the first time an incidence rates of infections attributable to cancer in 2018 at an individual uh, country level, wrote the authors. Our study can help to raise awareness and inform recommendations for action against cancer, which tends to be viewed as noncommunicable disease. The findings were then published uh, in December's uh, Lancet Global Health, and a casual association between certain infections and human malignancies is already well-established, the authors' comment. Previous research uh, uh, has found uh, that H. pylori, H. B. V. That's the hepatitis B vax, uh, H, uh hepatitis B virus, H. C. V. That's the hepatitis C virus, and H. P. V. That's the human papillom- papilloma virus <laughs> were responsible for 1.9 million uh, of the 12.7 million cancer cases reported in 2008. So that's, uh, that's pretty interesting uh, uh, to consider. And again, something that uh, I think that we've all known uh, to, uh, to be true. Uh, let's go to our next story here, uh, which is something that I personally am affected because we do use coconut oil at home. And that is coconut oil consumption is linked to an increase in LDL. The LDL is... Uh, what's known as the quote-unquote bad uh, cholesterol. So new evidence is cracking open some of the positive health claims made about coconut oil. Combining the findings from 16 published studies, investigators found that the use of coconut oil was associated with increases in low-density lipoprotein. So that's again, that's the bad cholesterol, the cholesterol that we consider to quote-unquote be bad. Um, as opposed to the HDL, the high-density lipoprotein, which is considered to be the good cholesterol. And total cholesterol levels potentially placing people at higher risk for cardiovascular disease. Compared to uh, non-tropical olive, uh, soybean, or canola oil, high consumption of coconut oil substantially increased LDL cholesterol. Consuming 3 to 4 tablespoons of coconut oil daily was associated with an estimated uh, 10 milligrams per deciliter increase, about a 9% jump in LDL levels. The main message is that scientific Studies in humans do not support a beneficial effect of coconut oil consumption on body fatness, inflammation, blood sugar, or health. Uh, there, uh, there is thus no reason to continue coconut oil uh, to cont- to consume coconut oil to improve health. Boy, isn't that uh, is that interesting, or what? Uh, as uh, especially given the. Um, the notion that coconut oil was sold to us as really being kind of the uh the the end all be all and cure all. We're gonna take a quick break and uh we'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Saw you today. Can feel my music making your own way. Won't see you again. Won't see you again. Anyway Anyway I fear You must be afraid To feel like Jesus On his special day see him again, won't see him again, anyway, anyway. born for love, babe that we're all the same Won't see you again Won't see you again Anyway 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 Hi, this is Sam Price. I host Soul Shine Radio every Tuesday night from 10 to 12. I believe in WHIV's mission of radio programming dedicated to human rights and social justice, which is why I'm not just a DJ here at the station, I'm a member too. Join me. Become a member today by visiting whivfm.org and click donate. Thanks. Peace.
1: You are listening to 102.3 WHIV LP-FM in New Orleans. Please consider donating at WHIVFM.org. Our programming is dedicated to human rights and social justice. After his pilgrimage to Mecca... Malcolm X began to see the struggle for black justice in America not as a struggle for civil rights, but rather as a struggle for human rights. Since black Americans, human beings, were being violated, therefore he thought the United States should be taken to the United Nations. And in this next clip, Malcolm X
0: is presenting his case to the United Nations. Number one, of the black man in America, is beyond America's ability to solve. It's a human problem, not an American problem or a Negro problem. And as a human problem or a world problem, we feel that it should be taken out of the jurisdiction of the United States government and the United States courts and taken into the United Nations in the same manner that the problems of the black man in South Africa, Angola, and other parts of the world, and even the way they're trying to bring the problems of the Jews in Russia into the United Nations because of violation of human rights. We believe that our problem is one not of violation of civil rights, but a violation of human rights. Not only are we denied the right to be a citizen in the United States, we're denied the right to be a human being.
2: On lide dans la Bible, le temps préfini. On lide dans la Bible, le temps préféré. Oh, le temps.
1: This is one of two point three WHIV, and Doc Griggs is in the house. Caught me in my car as I was just <laughs> getting was ready to leave. To, as I was getting ready to out leave, my text. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after in about a half hour, we were going to have uh, author uh, Bobby Fleischer, uh back. Uh, he's going. He's got a, a show to promote that he wanted to jump on air real quickly. But I figure we got about a half hour here uh, with Doc Griggs and the Get Chef, Get Fit Get Moving show with Doc Griggs and Doctor Derry. I'm Doctor Derry. That's Doc Griggs. Uh, Doc Griggs and I've had a lot of uh, personal uh, trauma.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't know what to call. It's like it's things. it's 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 your tax, right? So. Everyone wonders, uh, you know, they, the two of us they see as nontraditional. Right. Um, you still see patients. I do right. not. Uh, but if anyone asks, we are very much doctors. Right. Uh, in that we help and we educate people and we try to help people live their best lives. Uh, but the part of that that when you when I use the word community medicine, people don't quite understand it.
1: Sure. Whoops. Sorry about that. No Worries. I, I think this it. is our.
2: Those are calls. Yeah. yeah. Hang on. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so what happens is, um, when you're, it it turns out to be true to the term. We spend all this time uh, in in schools getting the proper training to handle the the medicine portion of it, and then uh, in order to be valid. Uh, you have to spend time in the community, and in doing so, because we are, we refuse to yeah. think we're better than or any different than the members of our community, because we are all just people with jobs trying to help each other. Right. Um, you get close, and you lose. Uh, it happened to be, we had the, our, our crew of Athena Ball this past weekend. Uh, I was one of the former kings, and one of the the officials, one of the
1: the, the, like the part the, the of the designated tableau. part part of the tableau, right.
2: Vasovagled, uh, which means folks, she got dehydrated and passed out and, uh, you do your emergency on-site spot care. There's really nothing a doctor can really do other than keep things stable, CPR if necessary and wait for EMS and move people out of the way. But the point is life is really, really, uh, fragile in the last eight weeks. I've lost, uh, eight people, seven people that I know very well. One of which the city knows, uh, fifth Ward Weeby, uh, was a friend. Uh, I'm still digesting that one hurt. Yeah, that Um, one,
1: uh, Fifth Ward yeah. Weeby was, uh, yeah. you know, part of... I don't know if you read the post that I put up on WHAV. I've he, been...
2: Dude, I've been... Yeah.
1: He was um, he was part of the... Uh, I first... <laughs> Weeby...
2: Hmm. What's happening, Doc?
0: I met that? Weeby like Damn.
1: Uh, 14 years ago or 15... Right when I... Like kind of right after Katrina and right when I first moved into, yeah. into town. I remember. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he was... He was great, man. He was funny. He was goofy. He, um, you know, it was like what he said to, I think he gave an interview to Allison Fenderstock when he was like, do you know? I'm like, dude, it's all about having fun and making music and having fun. Yeah. And that was the kind of the quote that I, cause that really kind of reflected who he was. But when I read that he'd passed, man, oof, well, that, I'm one, you, that one, that one hurt, man.
2: It's so it's, it's social media that is just gives these gut punches that you don't. Yeah um expect we work together I had him working with my students we were uh-huh. working at the center with his his his, his health and talking right. about getting checked get fit get moving we we're supposed to make a song we there's a <laughs> lot i mean we we're working on and then uh you know, we got, you know, life gets us busy and he'd see me, Doc, I'm a to call you, I'm a call you, Doc, I'm a car, I'm a He
1: would have been, that would have been, if that would have been the intro for our show, oh, dude. that would have been,
2: <laughs> so let's just say I got some things in the work, man. I just, I'm in a, in a death knell right now. And I guess you go through those things. Uh, as we get older, uh, people tend to, pat just found out another very close friend, uh, passed away over the weekend that I wasn't aware of that. She was sick. Um, but it's, I've been a pallbearer. Uh, I've been the bearer of good news, bearer of bad news. I've had to grieve. uh, And it's, it's basically what I've been doing is what I went into medicine for, but I forgot about the rough part. Um, It's spending time with the people. Uh, I'm sure you as a healthcare professional, you get it all the time. People call you with really catastrophic news. And what you, all you can do is be an ambassador of hope. That's
1: you couldn't have said it better, Eric. That's exactly right. That's I learned that lesson very, very early on, uh, uh, it, with uh, an aunt. Um, right when I first kind of was newly minted doctor, I was a resident. Oh, and and,
2: everybody in the family loves it, the fact that you're a. Tub. Well, that well, I
1: mean, every so this aunt was the first of the family of of my grandmother. Uh, she was uh, she had like there was like ten or eleven siblings, right. This goes back to the old country in Morocco, and uh, they lived in the U.S. now. But this was a loved aunt. She was the first one. She had pancreatic cancer. And yeah. She was probably in her yeah. mid sixties. Beloved, she was the first of all of the siblings. And and uh, you know, I was an intern, and uh, and I had you know had visited with her at home, and she had lost a lot of weight. And I had taken a picture and had emailed it to several of my uh, cousins and said, "Hey, everybody, just you know, Aunt Claudia is very very ill." You know, if y'all want to, you know, should reach out to her and and visit with her, and she clearly looked ill. I didn't I didn't anticipate the reaction I got from my family, which was you know horror that I would circulate a picture like that. And this is pre social media. This was email. Right. We're talking like 1999. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the early Stingray <laughs> starfish looking <laughs> right. But dial up. Someone right. knocks you off the internet with right. a call. Right. Yeah. So I mean, this is the early early days, and uh, and at the funeral. My, um, you know, and then, then I had said she's going to die because, you know, uh, I was very uh, frank in the email uh, and I was like, uh, she's, yeah, and <laughs> she's going to die uh, because this is the type of pancreatic cancer she has. And she did. She died within a couple of weeks. And I mean, the, everything I was saying was f- completely factually true. However, but comma. one of the, uh, her sons, one of her three sons came up to me, two of them, uh, you know, they didn't talk to me for, for at least a decade. But th- th- one of them finally came up to me during the funeral and, uh, and said to me, you took away our hope. And it, boy, was that a lesson I learned? And even if faced with like
2: impending, there's a glimmer, <laughs> impending, you know, whatever.
1: I never take away hope anymore.
2: So, so here's the the other lesson in that though is that we are not deities. Uh, we base things on science, and we base things on studies. And what people tend to forget and the hope that I always talk to people about is, you know, if they say the chance is one in a million, well, there are seven billion people on the planet. Right. So who's to say that you can't be in that percentage of one? Um, that ones that survive, uh, I don't, but
1: let me ask you this I, I, and you're bringing up a very good point and, and it actually b- it bears and I don't mean to interrupt, but, but let me just say this,
2: I don't, you know, when everybody w- says, someone says I don't mean to interrupt, they, inter- they mean to interrupt. Yeah, that's true. Yeah yeah, sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You you were, you were going on. So I decided <laughs> yeah, no, to cut on, you go off go on, ahead, the past. Go no,
1: go no. no, no. Seriously. If you had cancer. Okay, and let's say that the let's say you had a gastric cancer, right? And the treatment is pretty gruesome. Um, let's say that the five-year kind of uh, uh, prognosis is maybe you know five percent or ten percent survivability, mm-hmm. right? Maybe at three years, maybe it's fifteen percent, you know. But the process, you know, t- for treatment is so difficult uh and what would you do would you really hang on and, yes you personally
2: oh i'm i'm going for the point zero zero one. I'm so fighting. you would
1: you would endure it. being in the hospital you would endure the let's, central lines you would endure the infections you would what endure we have to
2: do okay um, all right
1: do you have a dnr
2: those are no okay no no um no and that's a that's do you have like, a living will uh, do I? I think so? Yeah, you know, we, we need
1: ago. to make like February, like living well month and make sure that we talk about the importance of getting living wells,
2: especially in light of the re- recent events. The other thing is that there are times that I've seen in the training through training where we were wrong. Uh, we have patients that we thought and prepared families for the worst in the ICU and somehow they rebound mm-hmm. uh, there. There does but, come a point in time when you start having to. Now, that's the other part of the conversation I was about to get to. There does come a point in time where that we have to accept the fact that death is a part of life and the process of dying. There are certain things that take place in the body, uh, the shutting down when the body starts to sundown and starts to shut organ failure and things start to turn around when uh, they lose their app. People lose their appetite. There are stages of dying, just like there are stages of grief and the art and what we went to school for. If you went for the reason that I did was to learn how to help and support people through that process it's this is a scientific process now it is above me um, miracles do happen and you can pray and if it, whomever you pray to or anyone if you pray to anyone but I can my job is to narrate and tell you everything that's going to go on and to remind you that the last thing that goes is hearing uh, just like an anesthesia is the first thing to come back and the last thing to go so you want to make sure your loved ones if you can't surround them with love and let them them hear it so I'm not uh, I'm a realist but I'm never going to distinguish hope. I've seen too many miracles. I've seen too many things happen. Uh, I had a kid, <laughs> I had a kid for my entire, th- I, wow. I had this kid, uh, my fourth year of med school. And then I had him in my internship again, that was found. Uh, he was an aborted fetus in a trash can. Um, and the nurse, they were doing cleanup and they heard a cry. He was that big. Can't say his name, but I watched this kid come back to life. And when I went back, there was a picture. Hold on. When, when
1: you say uh, aborted fetus, you mean uh, it was a, a? I'll just say that a, he that was, was a. I'll just say
2: no. Maybe it was a miscarriage. He, it, he was very, very young. I won't say that, but he was young.
1: It was a premature, premature, a
2: premature, premature, pre- 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 That was that, that was actually, that went that, through they, the birthing process. That went through the birthing process. They thought but, was lifeless, right? Yeah, not then, aborted, not with. The yes, life. and I got yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but they they was I saw the pictures. He was blue, almost black. It looked like. But he's, he was. We monitored him. I learned the uh, how, what, uh, cardiopulmonary crises look like. Uh, how do you, steroids the value of steroids through the right you're talking about for like premature like i'm sure i was the, expecting every sure. day to come in and be like doc he's
1: gone god yeah yeah um, i'm sure that that you know even in the 20 years since uh, since uh, that was i'm sure the science has even gotten that it's much got, right so that I'm, much better i'm not but,
2: going to say that we that that miracles don't happen i'm not going to say distinguish anyone's hope um especially with man we've we've made progress with these cancers but i mean it's it, I mean, you're an ID. Like, the, the, this biology is forever changing its jacket and its right. shirt and its coat. Well, it's funny its makeup, you should say man. that because
1: uh, right before you came in while I was waiting for you, I was reading a couple <laughs> for stories. Forever. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. While I was reading a couple stories on air, and one of the stories was that uh, that 13% of global cancers uh, are due to infections.
2: 13%? And, That's 13%. significant.
1: Right, right, So, listen to this. So, listen to the infections H. pylori, which has a cure, uh, HPV HPV which has a vaccine, HBV, so hepatitis B virus, which has a vaccine, and then HCV, hepatitis C, which has a cure. So all four of them responsible for 13% of all cancers globally, and all of them have a cure and or a vaccine. That's remarkable, isn't it? Wow. So that
2: is, I mean, that's huge. Progress. It's, it's, oh, well, it's, it's huge progress, but absolutely amazing. But the but problem pe- is,
1: but, but people don't want to vaccinate. Like in, in Haiti right now, Haiti has some of the lowest vaccination rates in the world, and HPV is the number one killer of women uh, in, in in Haiti of childbearing years, and with very very large lesions s- on the cervix, and so, so, so very painful as well. S-
2: so that's part of what I say that we do as community doctors doing the painful stuff. Like the thing is, you happen to be reading this uh, in an article uh, as a specialist. The general public doesn't know that. If people knew, if we really were able to explain, which is man, and, and that's the another part I've been uh, going through. Man, I had a real moment after Weeby. I'm like, man, I'm, am, am is all of this worth it? Like, am I doing my job? Like, is, is no one? we're not listening. Like, how can I change the messaging? Like, dude, I literally started, I'm like, started looking at law school applications again. And I'm like, okay, I can't go back to dude. That. I'm telling you, man, I just, it, dude. it hurt dude. It, when I tell you it hurt, it's like, dude. I can't, I'm trying. So, and it's not a one person job, which is we work together, work with a bunch of folks, but it's just really hurt when it's people, you know, dude, that would be like me coming in here with, let's say I got diagnosed with hep C or hep B. Right. And I'm, yeah, all right, doc. Yeah, okay, What? And I don't tell you anything about it. Right. And oh, yeah, yeah. And I blow it off and I blow it off. Like, you're sitting across from me. What are you doing? Like, it just. Right. And I've had, it, it's happened to countless folks, man. This blood pressure thing. Just found out another friend just had, uh, and he had an aneurysm surgery. He was 50. He's 53. This untreated high blood pressure, hypertension. Right. I mean, it's, again, it all goes back to education. People don't. No, if they understood the severity of it, it would be... Yeah,
1: there's that also, but th- let me say there's two other things to that that go back to kind of the social determinants of health. One is we are a uh, a a country that is force-fed or fed terrible foods, right, that are processed foods with high levels of, of, of sodium that do did you, cause... Was it
2: the, did you see, is it geyser? One of the geysers was... They found that they pled guilty to plead putting arsenic. It's one of these water companies out of California. <laughs> like arsenic or something. I got to look it up. Don't I mean, let me they, misspeak. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, that just popped up last night. Yeah. I couldn't sleep last night. I'm reading this stuff.
1: Right. And uh, and the other thing, too, is that we make it hard for people to go to the doctors. True you know it with our healthcare system uh being what it is and that being it it's a, it's a system that's based on profits uh, and it puts profits in front of people it's really quite quite uh, uh incredible to think that that you know, somebody with hypertension who has an aneurysm surgery, uh, it's just really remarkable. So here's an article that uh, Eric just uh, passed over to me. Crystal Geyser Water pleads guilty to We've dumping arsenic into California ecosystem. Jeez, the company that makes Crystal Geyser natural alpine spring water You've now with it. arsenic has it. admitted to illegally handling, uh, handling hazardous waste at its facility in Olancha, California. The uh, company behind the bottled water brand pleaded guilty to one count of unlawful storage of hazardous waste and one count of unlawful transportation of the hazardous material now you know if they admit to one count Keep of it going. how many, how many more how many more uh do they have yeah this is uh this is really really incredible dude uh it's just yeah, not surprising I mean, you know and the other thing too, I just wanted to, while you're talking about that let me just say that the presidential candidate um not Bloomberg. Yeah, no, Michael Bloomberg, uh, former mayor uh, Michael Bloomberg, of uh, mayor of New York City, has put in $250 million in advertising for his candidacy, and that's how he made the debate stage uh, last week uh, in the Democratic debates. $250 million he put in of his own money just in advertising. That It, it would cost $200 million to fix the pipes in Flint, Michigan.
2: Just just to give you, just to give you, you,
1: like, I mean, like $250 million for a billionaire who's like multiple billion. Right. I mean, the pipes, like, if you still think about Flint, there's still no traction, (laughs) you know, and uh, it's really, it's, it's, anyway. So yeah, we. So so,
2: so 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 that's the 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 point. My, my point is, people don't know what they don't know, and maybe uh, this is a process of talking it out. All the cancers that you talk about are asymptomatic until they're symptomatic right uh, blood, high blood pressure asymptomatic until it's I always said
1: if high blood pressure or hypertension was associated with pain oh. we'd have lines out the door
2: Oh, <laughs> pancreatic cancer same thing but you don't really know what your symptoms are with because of it goes back to our diet right we have this very
1: let me let me ask you a question when you, you and i both cycle. you and I both got um, ulcers true <laughs> At the same time, right? Literally, like Literally. within the same week, <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. And neither yeah. one of us talked to each other about <laughs> it. <anything> about <laughs> a couple, <laughs> couple months later, until we were on air, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So let you're me you're ask losing you Losing weight, yeah. Uh-huh. How, are you, how are you
2: losing? Do I know? Also, you too, me too. <laughs>
1: so I was. So we were. Uh, uh, we were hiking uh, in Europe, we went, and Leon and I went to Italy. Right? When we came back, we talked about all the great food there was and stuff, right? Yeah. So while I was there, is when I self-diagnosed myself with a uh, duodenal ulcer, right? And uh, my first, before I came onto ulcer, yeah, boy, the thoughts. Oh. And mo- so, what were you
2: thinking? <laughs> so, the the <laughs> symptoms. So, first of all, you get this weird pain. You take one finger and you point right here. You go to pancreatic cancer. <laughs> there you go. go Dude, all gastric right. Gastric it's not, so it wasn't me. So. No, no. You go to esophageal. You think about Barrett's esophagus. You think about esophageal. But another cancer. one of us are smokers, yeah, but. <laughs> not, right,
1: exactly. None. Yeah, but it was the, the thought my first thought was pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, no, I would think that there would be some like painless jaundice or something, 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 right. Medical. We're talking stools guys. Yeah. Sometimes you got to look in the toilet bowl, (laughs) but then it occurred to me, then it occurred to me that was probably gastric. Yeah. And I was like for, for about a day for about, 24 to maybe 36 hours. I thought for sure that I had a gastric carcinoma. I thought yeah, for dude. sure it's what it was. I'm the right age. I'm the right gender. Yep. Like it was, like it was done deal. And then all of a sudden, it just occurred to me, basically, like you know, this. And then I just started doubling up on a and I was better within 24
2: hours. Yeah. So yeah, I, I did the Omeprazole. <laughs> I did the 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 whole uh, antibiotics deal. I went through the whole deal. Quit drinking. No coffee. Stop eating the meat because I have GERD anyway. Um, So I could have lesions on my esophagus or just spots because it's a a family thing. And I'm still winning off of the PPIs. I'm on uh, uh, caraphate and pepsid right now. Oh, are you? Yeah, just slowly but surely because every now and then I'll get, you know, it's a strangest sensation is you get this stretchy feeling. You feel like you can't stretch in your spine, but it's actually referred pain. Right. So I'm still going to get scoped. From the rooter to the tutor, are you? Oh yeah, dude. I'm getting. Oh good. I'm, well, wait, wait, wait. it's it's
1: important. Um, at it's... this
2: point, we used to joke each other about our age and laugh. But no, at at fifty and fifty plus, <laughs> we say proudly because these people, everyone that's passed in the last seven, eight weeks, and my friends um, has been under the age. They've been fifty one or under, um, and I mean that's. I mean, it's, I, I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, these are people that I like. We talk right. Like it's it it's you go to sleep and you there were days that I still have issues. This past week, I'd go to sleep and wonder if I'm going to wake up. Right, and I'm watching all the sci-fi stuff, the magicians on Netflix, and they're talking about afterlives and all this other stuff. Yeah, I got to find I got to watch some sports. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some no kids cartoons.
1: Um, and you know, I, I think our my buddy uh, uh, Bobby Fleecer. I think we you met him before. I think he's yeah. been on with the two of us. He'll be on in a second. So, uh, and actually, there's a um, there's a great there's a great song that's coming up dude in fact here let's let's uh, let's play it right now um, I'm gonna play it right now hang on a second listen to this
2: Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Bloody vaccinate your bloody kids. Bloody idiots. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You played your bloody, kids. <laughs> bloody idiots. No, you
0: read some vague statistic that said it might make them autistic, but if you'd paid attention, you would know that was all debunked ten years ago. No, it's not some grand conspiracy by Big Pharma. It's just chemistry. Yes, it's toxic. That's how vaccine works.
2: You ignorant jerks. So, vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Bloody vaccinate your bloody kids. Bloody
0: idiots. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Bloody vaccinate your bloody kids. See, there's this thing called herd immunity. You're endangering your community. Measles can be passed along and to kids whose parents weren't as dumb as you. Yes, you have the right to (laughs) choose, but still, not to make your friends and neighbours ill. Measles (laughs)
2: isn't just like getting zits. You can die from it. So, vaccinate your
0: kids. Vaccinate your kids. Bloody vaccinate your bloody kids, you bloody idiots. Vaccinate your kids. Vaccinate your kids. Do what you already should have did. Just bloody vaccinate your bloody kids.
2: Show. You're listening
0: to one oh two point three WHIV LP in New Orleans, Louisiana. We're community radio dedicated to human rights and social justice. End all wars.
1: All right. All right, coming in now is a uh, noted author, friend of the radio station, uh, friend of the show, uh, and uh, also just all-around great person, award-winning author as well, oh, wow. Bobby uh, Fleecer. Yeah, please, yeah. please keep going. <laughs> um, we love uh, when you come on board. I was actually just telling you that we were um, that your name came up, and I'm trying... Oh, you know what it is? It's for something completely different. It's, it's going to be for... Um, in June, someone's going to be contacting you. One of my team is going to be contacting you to do a show live at the Ace Hotel uh, on the third Monday of June That's for fantastic. kind of uh, kind of Pride Awareness. We're going to have a panel uh, discussion. So. Fantastic. So we'll, we'll 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 do that. So it was funny oh, to, sure. to to hear from you. So um, so I know yeah. you, you've met Doc Griggs before. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And yeah exactly.
3: we bond- we bonded.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I got
3: your whole, last time I was here. I got your whole children's book you wrote about you becoming a doctor. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. told a lot of people about that. It was great. Still, what's, uh, yeah, what's the update with so
2: that? So I have. I've been working. Uh, it was a challenge working with uh, working with an illustrator. That right. English is not the first language, so the context is out. So I'm using that as a storyboard to get to another author. I got, I got another illustrator, um, and it's a big surprise. So yeah, it's it's, it's coming. Cool man. The doll. Cool. Can, I got the doll now. The Dol, doll? The doll came in. Um, is it
1: the, the Doc Griggs doll? Do, is it a bobblehead? Can I get a, no, no, Can a, I get a Doc Griggs bobblehead? Yeah you, you yeah, you have memorabilia? I, got, like a memory, kind of I got a
2: doll and I have a uh, doctor kit for the kids.
1: Oh, nice. Kind of cool. So I, love
2: I love that. It, so it'll be a kind of cool little thing. That's awesome. Yeah, okay, will be fun. <laughs> that will be fun. Um, <laughs>
1: uh, uh, so, Bobby, what's going on?
3: So, um, on... January 30th, um, I'm going to be, which is a Thursday at the end of this month, I'm going to be reading with an assistant professor of poetry at Tulane at this amazing uh, reading series called Dogfish. I'm so proud to be part of they're like the end-all be-all reading series it was like
1: what's a reading series
3: a reading series is like a literary salon so literally when you when you have a reading series generally traditionally they the way they worked in the 20th century and they're rarer now but when you get one that's going and, and, and kind of has momentum behind it mm-hmm. and people show up for it, it's a really special thing where sure. you go to a writer's house typically this was a place where there was a writer's group like a, a group of four, three or four people who'd bring stuff around a kitchen table that eventually thought to themselves, why don't we just invite some people here and start reading the stuff yeah. that we've been writing together and working on together. So like reading it out loud? Mm-hmm. And it uh-huh. grows from That's there cool. to eventually they start um, they start inviting in authors they would like or professors they would like to talk to who become part of this cross-percolation and cross-fertilization of ideas and uh, Dogfish has really grown. I mean I, I'm i not going to say the exact year that I think they started this but I think it was in like uh, it, was, it was a few years ago. There was this uh. A uh, wonderful writer named Kate Root, I think, was a product of the UNO MFA writing program. Uh, kicked this off with a couple of her, um, uh, her, her like her writing group, in essence, and it's really blossomed and developed into this great thing where you go. It's this house in Saint Rock at I'll I'll say the address. It's at twenty four forty eight North Valair. Weirdly enough, that's close to my bank, like the Hancock Whitney right. Bank off right, Saint right, Claude, right. and um and it's a great thing where now like a lot of uh, people if you're a New Orleans writer and you've, you've published something you really it's an honor to be asked to be part of this reading okay.
1: series so you so you were asked to be part of it mm-hmm. so for, yeah so to read part of the uh, of, of your book about the upstairs lounge i
3: part it's reading yeah, parts of Tinderbox which right. I'm really proud of and then uh, for example there's a really great New Orleans writer named Maurice, Maurice Carlos Rufin who wrote this book a We Cast a Shadow it's getting all sorts of attention published in 2018 he made when he was doing his initial hardcover tour to read at dogfish another new orleans writer named jamie attenborough attenberg sorry wrote this book um all this could can be yours or something like that I i might be getting the title all this could be yours i think is it's about moving and the process of that kind of thing and family and stuff like that she made sure to read at this reading series so you get a straight shot where you have like 30 minutes or so 35 minutes of just People delving into your work and you getting to perform it, in right. essence, which oftentimes isn't what I get to do when I go when I do a Tinderbox book event. I'll have a spiel, a shtick yeah. now, yeah, where a it's schtick. a presentation, slides, yeah, yeah. things like that. Oftentimes, I'm giving people the historical background, but they don't get to people. Then I, I'll sometimes go do an event where I barely, I, I might not read a word from the book, to be honest,
1: because you're just talking about, and they're the,
3: so shocked about the event, the upstairs right. lounge fire, this notoriously unsolved arson, that people will have yeah. questions afterwards, and then before you know it it's an hour and it's like sort of like uh, you know how people have an internal battery where they just run out of stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah. about about 45 minutes okay. yeah it's yeah. like well, okay <laughs> Mr. Feasley you've had your uh, sounds like you've
1: had your say and I'm like but uh, we didn't right, get to got- any of the book
3: <laughs> so this will be wonderful because I know I'm, I'm going to spend the whole time uh, what, reading selections read? from it yeah
1: what are you going to like? do you already know what
3: you're going to yeah, do yeah
1: because it's um. do you want to first talk about the book real quick and, and sure. maybe just plug the book and, yeah. and what the story is
3: so uh, my book tinderbox uh, the untold story Story of the upstairs lounge fire and the rise of gay liberation. It's a long subtitle. Is about um, a notoriously unsolved arson fire that took place at a gay bar on the ragtag uh, edge of the 1970s French Quarter, and it claimed 32 lives um it was the deadliest fire on record in new orleans history and actually the worst mass killing of homosexuals in u.s history mm-hmm. until the 2016 um massacre at pulse in orlando and yet this historic um tragedy received just uh, like a few days of attention in its day due to um rampant ra- really rampant anti-gay bigotry people just didn't want to deal with it. there were and despite the presence of a chief suspect like a uh, A uh, internally conflicted, disturbed, very unpopular, gay-for-pay hustler who had been evicted from the bar violently moments before the fire began... Uh And then was
1: also witnessed uh, purchasing a canister of. uh, Yeah, at the Walgreens. At the Walgreens, like a lighter fluid canister. Yeah,
3: which is still there. It's the Walgreens right across from Hotel Monteleone. Right, it was the Walgreens that the guy walked in. Are you serious? Yeah, Yeah. no,
1: he was kicked out of the bar. That Walgreens? Yeah, Yeah, he walked into that Walgreens, bought a canister of lighter fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And bought a canister of the lighter fluid. Yeah. And then. Presumably... uh... Moments
3: later, it was a person matching his description, and then moments later, that same size and brand of lighter fluid... Was emptied into the front staircase of this bar, where one staircase had served as the lone entrance and exit. And because this was the 70s border of the French Quarter, guess what? Fire code standards. What fire code? It didn't exist. (laughs) New Orleans. (laughs) The the, the back emergency exit that people could have all fled the bar safely from uh, didn't have any marker. uh, And essentially, Uh, none of the safety features of the bar clicked in and worked. Uh, It's debated whether or not the the bar hadn't been inspected in two years by the fire code inspector who then claimed to have visited it. So there's this whole trade off about whether or not there had been uh, some sort of nice agreement or if someone had rendered unto Caesar to keep the fire code inspector away at that point. But anyway, it was it was a terrible tragedy. And this um, this this gentleman that this chief suspect was permitted to, in essence, escape justice, was never questioned by the police, though he was located by them and taken into custody, then lost from custody. Yeah, it took
1: I mean, it's, yeah, let me ask you this: What if it had happened at like a, uh, at, a, a at a function uh, attended by uh, folks who like were belonged to the Rex crew?
3: Oh, are you kidding me? I mean, like, or if, <laughs> this if this had been college kids, right? Or even if this had not been working class gay folk. But let's say that this was, let's say that these were dandies who were politically well connected or right. had a father or uncle who was in political office. Right. Um, that, there would have been a, d- a Well, difference. the chief suspect would have at least been
1: questioned. right? I mean, and then also just to, just to finish this, this, uh, this thread that he, he ended up committing suicide about 18 months later. Or, yeah. And and, and and 1974 yeah right and had uh even given a deathbed confession or yeah had, to
3: a boyfriend who he'd right. then uh betrayed at a certain point the the gentleman uh, the chief so suspect wait, wait, was wait, Roger date he,
2: he was gay bashing and uh, no no he was
1: at a gay bar he, he was just kind dead. of unliked. he was a, he was kind of a hustler he wasn't okay and got it, got while it. he was at the gay while he was at the upstairs lounge he got, got violently thrown out yeah, yeah exactly. he had this was out an emotional reaction he'd yeah.
3: provoked a fight he was also incredibly intoxicated yeah. uh, and so he was ejected yeah. while while he was being ejected, he screamed out the quote, um, heard by two people, quote, I'm going to burn you all out. That's yeah. very specific. It's uh, yeah. a very specific thing to say you're <laughs> going to do. Yeah. Um, and then moments moments later, uh, the fire begins in the front staircase. Yeah. Um, so it was a terrible tragedy, uh, completely swept under the rug for decades, really, in New Orleans. And the, the scenes I'm going to read for the book actually feature about how the legacy of this event Became built, became known again, built up, and then now it's really on the map of LGBT plus history. Well, people, people will refer to it nationally and inter- internationally, actually. I've given interviews for like with Swedish academics that want to talk about, um, what, what is it, monumentology or something like that and they want to talk about the nature of trad they're, talk, they're thinking of it from a way scholastic standpoint but whatever I, I think it's a riot if it, if it ends up in a Swedish <laughs> magazine I can't read so I have to have someone translate because even Google Translator doesn't work so
2: let me tell you strange <laughs> things happen when you're out of the country I got a call from him where were you or was that a text no where, it was a whatsapp where? He was look researching something, an article that oh. I wrote. Like, where were you? What part of the world?
1: I was in uh, I was in Bulgaria. This is part, uh, part of my research for my book. Yes, I was in Bulgaria. Things happen.
2: Man. <laughs> and
3: you found it in our,
1: like, an art like academic so, so here's a article, article that you <laughs> wrote. No, 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 so let me set this up. So this is actually it's brilliant, Eric. What a great <laughs> what a great segue. What a brilliant segue. Um, so you know, so I'm writing my book right Yeah. on the historic discrimination of medicine. Right? Yeah, and in, in despite discrimination, we're talking about racism, uh, and misogyny, and trans and homophobia I'm focusing sure. on those four elements and so just I'm d- those four right? <laughs> Jeez. Just, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. Well, he's writing volumes <laughs> right so uh, at least what I want to do is I, I start the conversation and just let other people pick up and pick pick apart each one of those but Mm -hmm. I'm going to start with an umbrella but that's a point is well taken so as I'm going through my research um, and I'm looking through and I'm digging through the research of African American physicians in uh, New Orleans I did not know that there was a black owned hospital uh, Mm -hmm. that was here in New Orleans and I had right I that was uptown and it was a completely black owned hospital because for black physicians to be able to practice amongst their community certainly the, the most obvious thing in the world how have i never been aware of this and as i am digging through the data and or as i'm digging through research i'm googling and i'm tr- one trail leads to another and leads to another leads to this dude right <laughs> here who actually wrote an article
0: that stuff doesn't that
3: happen in new orleans you'll know someone for two years we don't talk about and it. then they'll throw something out like out of nowhere i remember I, I was friends with this guy i thought i knew everything about like uh, clay shaw and uh, the Oliver Stone movie and yeah. how that worked out where Oliver Stone like essentially maligned Clay Shaw and, and tried to get
1: clean. Which is this like JFK? Is this J- the, the movie? Yeah, JFK, to the right. movie JFK. Right.
3: And so I thought I knew, I, I knew this guy, David, who ran Frenchman Art and Books, and I thought I knew everyone that was involved in that. And then I was recently in the store and David was like, oh no, I, I was the guy that talked to Oliver. I was like, what are you talking about? We've had, we've had like nine conversations around this topic? But that, that's now, like, isn't that normal? We hold just have too on. many yes. stories. People no, no, have no. too many oh, stories Bobby, but
1: You nailed it. Like, we talk every week for an hour <laughs> on the radio, <laughs> and, and, we, and we, we hang out outside. <laughs> yeah. Our social circles are—we have multiple social circles <laughs> that collide, You're right? both involved <laughs> in medicine. <laughs> you care about this. You think yeah. about this stuff. Well, he knows I'm writing a book on, on <laughs> the historic racial discrimination he in medicine. He never asked. He never asked <laughs> anything. What? What do you want to know? I'm like, dude, what the hell is this hospital what Yeah. You know? So it needed
3: to be like a tar- the targeted
1: question would have yeah, been I mean, what? Dude, open yeah. that door well, in welcome, your mind. Welcome to life with Doc Griggs. <laughs> wow. It's, it's, it's like I don't know what I don't know, but like if I if I don't ask it exactly correctly, <laughs>
3: yeah, my God. what years did it, that yeah, that hospital exist? Give us a breakdown wow, oh, So pretty that pretty.
2: hospital was it it, it it was the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. It was one of the only places that African Americans could actually for nursing. It's tied to Dillard School of Nursing of nursing um it's tied to the the med schools at howard when they would people mm. would come back and practice medicine because of redlining and segregation you could only have you talked to most people that are like our parents age mm. they a lot of them were born to the charity or Flint goodrich hospital mm. um and again i mean that's a whole nother conversation back to just the the difference in um communities uh right. so sure post pre-segregation and post i mean they were isolated communities but they were functioning Mm -hmm. um it was just it was just an accepted system this is african-american hospital it's on louisiana avenue um it is right at the corner what's the name of the street there's ferrette and then the next street where you make the left to go over uh, to come downtown, the main, really? The main street. Really? It's right there. You, it's, it's like so a central c- Central City. Yeah, Central City. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it, And it wasn't just a hub for New Orleans. like It was pretty I mean, well known throughout pe- the country. I mean, people around mm. the country. I mean, physicians Everyone and nurses
1: did. around the country kind of came and trained there or a charity. Well,
2: as an African-American, if you wanted to become a doctor, you could go to Howard or you could go to um, Meharry. Um, and we you, you had limited choices. So, mm-hmm. but- they people were well educated, and they come back. And of course, you can only take care of your own. Mm-hmm. So they did everything at that hospital.
3: Now, the doctors yeah. and the administrators at this hospital would they be African American? Consi- at, at this hospital, they would would they all be considered part of the, the in African American? Would they be considered part of the uh, the black upper middle class or upper class? Yeah. So like, that's an
2: interesting thing. So when you make? when you get well, they made decent wages for their race in the time, and I mean it was it was it, it was it, it, it was it wasn't equal. Yeah. But it was at a higher level than I find that fascinating that those in in the community. And here's the, the thing. One of the difficulties of the redlining was the fact that the more the more education you got uh, you'd go back to your neighborhood. Now, this is good and it's bad, but there was a social responsibility. That, mm. oh, Dr. Derry, oh, that's Dr. Derry right there. He makes more money. He does well. So he kind of, you're forced to be civically active. Mm. Um, And you're responsible. But you're you, the rain falls on everyone's head, just like everyone... Equal. it's the right. same social determinants of health because you live in that you right. living in the neighborhood.
3: Okay, so it was called Goodrich Flint Goodrich Goodrich Hospital. Flint now, Goodrich. would this have been in the same era when a lot of the businesses were um, sort of in their heyday at the at the Pythian Temple, where there was a lot, where a lot of uh, black industry and a lot of black that, executives, black insurance companies, etc. We're sort of being built up in that area. Do you know where the, the – I
2: know exactly where you're talking about. Yeah, well,
1: and that's where my office is, is the Pythian. So it was so, yeah.
2: located, believe it or not. I'm going to say yes. So let's go – I misspoke. What? It was from – for almost a century, 1896 to 1983.
1: Wow. Right. And and to be clear, I think that what happened was after – and the way Liana describes it to me, and uh, who's my wife and she's also a city planner – she describes that Central City went on decline once segregation was lifted in New Orleans mm. because once segregation was li- because Central City, especially OCH, right, yep. Aretha Haley, that was the hub, that was a major, major hub. And if you look, if you drive down Aretha Haley and look at those stores or look at the buildings that, are especially in that main, that main section between, let's say, the interstate and maybe MLK or just yep. past yes, MLK, sir. Yep. right. Those are all. They, those were all stores, and they all had like the glass oh, man, fronts. It was really and nice. That's that. where
2: you would go in the African American community. You go to. Aretha Castle Haley. Right, you would mm. go. It
1: wasn't OCH at the time, obviously. Don't say OCH. O- H- it's
2: Aretha Castle Haley. Aretha Castle Haley. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> there's okay. relatives that are still living, and you, you,
1: Yeah. Okay. You, okay. You, okay you, yeah, yeah. Aretha yeah. Castle Haley. All right. I, I got very few quirks. But hold, pat- hold yeah. on, let me <laughs> ask you this. Do you, do you, in fact, Bobby, this may be a question for you. Okay. What was the name of Aretha Castle Haley Street before it was Aretha Castle Haley?
2: They just did it after Katrina. I can't remember. Yeah. I don't know. No, it was it was something else. It
1: was yeah because Aretha Castle Haley actually was the one that helped to desegregate. Uh, uh, New Orleans. Obviously, that was one of her, uh, uh, m- one of her many claims to fame. But what happened was that Canal Street was mostly limited to people who were white. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a the famous story, of course, of Louis Armstrong, you know, stepping off of a Zulu float when he was king and w- went to a hotel to go use the restroom. And he was told that he needed to walk through the back door. Mm-hmm. And that was when he forever swore off, uh, uh New Orleans. And then he moved to Chicago and never came back to New Orleans uh, mm-hmm. t- to live. because uh, in Chicago, obviously, that didn't, that Didn't happen to him And so once the desegregation was lifted uh, Or once segregation was lifted And the city was desegregated Folks uh, uh, started to uh, visit the Canal Street stores to do mm. their shopping, and what that did is that helped kind of you know uh, uh, it broke down the uh, the social structure that existed uh, already at uh, on Ruth Haley and all
2: the stores sure. there. I'm fascinated so, by that. So, so real quick, it's a lot deeper than that. The history of the hospital can be traced back to the Phyllis Wheatley Sanitarium Training School for Negro Nurses. Are you reading your own article?
3: No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> yeah, we should get hit a dog, dogfish, right? <laughs>
2: Um, so, uh, we have, we have a minute. They, okay. So they was run by a Methodist Episcopal church. They needed financial support. Uh, at one point it was a medical college, uh, and it was closed down in 1911 by the AMA. Uh, under the stringent guidelines. Um, oh, was that, the,
1: that was the F- 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 FISA report or the um, – in 1911, the AMA. 1911, AMA. AMA yeah, under, mm-hmm. they, did, they did a big thing where they closed down a lot of medical schools, and, and, and I would imagine that. that
2: a uh, pharmacy school that closed in 1915, and then basically all, everything moved over to the uh, Flint Goodrich Flint Medical College and Sarah Goodrich Hospital and Nursing Training College merged. They converted to a 50-bed hospital with a nurse uh, resident, and it was renamed uh, Flint Goodrich Hospital. And then they're attached to Dillard up until 1983. They closed and Yeah, closed. There's, there's
1: a whole history behind yeah. it. Um, we got 30 seconds. Bobby, sure. uh, do you want to plug your vent again?
2: Yep. Yeah, so I'll be at the Dogfish Reading Series
3: with Charisma Price um, on Thursday, January 30th, 7 p.m. And it is at 2448 North Valere Street, uh, which is in St. Rock. So come check it out. It's a really great reading series. Dogfish. Thank you very much, Bobby.
1: Uh, get check if it get, get moving with Doc Riggs and Dr. Derry. I'm uh, out of town next week, so we'll be back in two weeks. Thank you guys yeah. so much.
0: still in the driver's seat